0: I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, if you've not yet requested your copy of our May special report that outlines the five threats to your retirement, I would encourage you to request your report by going to requestyourreportnow.com. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. We'd be very glad to send you a copy of the five current threats to your dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement, all you need to do is go to that website, let us know where to mail the report. And uh, the report also outlines some potential solutions for you to consider. So again, to get the report, uh, go to requestyourreportnow.com. And uh, you can always go to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website as well. There's a lot of free resources there. And if you don't yet have the Your RLA app, Go to the app store on your phone and download it. Just search for Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. That's your R-L-A. And uh, you'll get an app which gives you uh, free access to all of our educational materials. You know, I read an article about a week ago. I talked about it on my Headline Roundup webinar last Monday. And when you think about this, it's really shocking. 34% of all household income in the United States now comes from the government. Now, that's an amazing statistic, and it shows you, over the past year, how increasingly reliant the population has become on payments from the government. Now, personal current transfer payments uh, is the term given to government-sourced income like unemployment benefits, welfare checks, and so on. And in March of this year, this number exploded to $8.1 trillion on an annualized basis, which was double the $4.1 trillion from February. And get this, if you go back a little over a year ago to February of 2020, That has increased by $5 trillion on an annualized basis. Now, if you put that number into perspective, if you go back to, say, the 1960s, transfer payments were about 7%. They're now 34%. Now, in the mid 70s, right after the link between the US dollar and gold was eliminated, that number jumped to the low teens. But again, we are at a 34% level. Now, when you look at how socialism evolves in what I would call a banana republic, that's typically how things evolve. Government payments to the population start out moving fairly slowly. They're incremental, but then they accelerate. And that's really where we are today. And It's not a surprise that in the month of March, household income was up 21%. Well, where did this come from? It came from government stimulus. The Bureau of Economic Analysis said that in the United States, in March, personal income increased by $4.21 trillion. Disposable income increased by almost 24%. Now, this is a direct result of government stimulus payments. Now, interestingly, inflation is obviously starting to rear its head. It's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to really talk about, but I'm going to talk about it in this segment. If you look at the AgriSpot index that Bloomberg publishes, this tracks agricultural commodity prices, that index has risen 76% year-on-year. That's the biggest annual rise in nearly a decade, and there are only a couple of other comparable episodes going all the way back 20 years, nearly 30 years, I should say. If you take a look at the Chicago PMI Index, The Chicago PMI index is a better indicator of inflation than obviously the official inflation rate. The official inflation rate is typically measured by the consumer price index, and as I've talked about on past programs, that is a highly manipulated number. When the CPI, consumer price index, is calculated it's really manipulated using hedonic adjustments, using weighting adjustments, and using substitution. I don't have time in this segment to talk about all those adjustments, but suffice it to say that when you look at what John Williams, who is a terrific economist at ShadowStats.com and uh, Ed Batowski at the Chapwood Index, they both track inflation Mr. Williams using methods that the government used back pre-1980 before these manipulations were actually incorporated into the inflation calculation. And uh, Ed Botowski uses uh, a team of people in each of the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the United States, and they track what our prices doing. Using either of those indexes, you find that the real inflation rate is probably closer to 8 to maybe 12% on an annualized basis, depending on what part of the country you live in. Now, if going back to the Chicago PMI index, it has not been at the current level since 1980. Now, if you remember what happened back in 1980, that's when the Federal Reserve Chair at the time, Paul Volcker, raised interest rates. The Fed funds rate went up to 22% to combat inflation. Now, back in 1980, the Fed wasn't printing money out of thin air. Helicopter money at that time was just a concept. It is now a reality. Back in 1980, money was loaned into existence. And, of course, at a 22% Fed funds rate and a prime rate in the mid-20%, not many people borrowed money. So it did kill inflation. The Chicago PMI index today is where it was in 1980 when the Fed took really drastic measures to combat inflation. Now, if you've been to the lumber company, if you have been to the grocery store, you know that we are now seeing inflation. The Fed, however, Mr. Jerome Powell, the chair of the Fed, said that any inflation we're seeing is transitory. Well, I would disagree with Mr. Powell. If you've been to the grocery store or the lumber company, my guess is that you disagree with Mr. Powell as well. But is the Fed raising interest rates like they did the last time the Chicago PMI index was this high? No. They're going to keep interest rates near zero, and they're going to continue bond purchases whenever you hear the Fed say they're going to continue their bond purchases, that means they're creating money. And their bond purchases are currently $150 billion per month. Now, Mr. Powell made a statement about a week ago, a week and a half ago or so. And I want to give you a quote from Mr. Powell. He said, we, meaning the Fed, We want inflation to run a little bit higher than it's been running the last quarter century. We want it at 2%, not 1.7%. Now, keep in mind, when the Fed is measuring the inflation rate, they're using the Consumer Price Index. They're using this flawed measure. And using this flawed measure, they want the inflation rate to increase from by their calculations, 1.7% over the last quarter century to 2%. So when you take a look at the Fed policy moving ahead, it seems like it's clear. I would describe the policy as print, print, and print some more. And I thought it was interesting that Mr. Powell, in his statement, subtly changed the inflation narrative once again. Suggesting the Fed is now averaging inflation over a 25-year time frame. Did you catch that in the quote? We want inflation to run a little bit higher than it's been running the last quarter century. We want it at 2%, not 1%. Now, when you take this big picture and see how it might affect you and your retirement, you have to think about the fact that the Fed is using an inflation metric. They're using a measure of inflation that is severely flawed, and it underestimates the inflation rate by a significant margin. And when you couple that with the fact that they have decided that they're going to continue their policy of easy money, we have to assume that we're going to see even more inflation. I think that stagflation is here. As I will talk about in the next couple segments with today's special guest, Dr. Robert McHugh, gross domestic product has declined. Economic output in the United States has declined while inflation is kicking in. That is the definition of stagflation. And what's interesting is gross domestic product is measured in U.S. dollars. So as U.S. dollars are devalued, Gross domestic product will automatically go up, nominally speaking, and yet we've seen a decline in GDP while we've seen extreme devaluation in the currency. That is a serious problem. I would encourage you to get our May special report. It outlines the five threats to your retirement and gives you some strategies that you might consider to protect yourself from these threats, and one of them is inflation All you have to do to get your copy of the report is go to requestyourreportnow.com. You can go to requestyourreportnow.com. Just let us know where to mail your copy of the report. We'll be very glad to do so. Also, uh, just in case you happen to tune in, in the middle of this segment, if you don't yet have the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app, go to the App Store on your phone, search for your R-L-A, that's Y-O-U-R-R-L-A. Get our app, gives you access to the Weekly Headline Roundup webinar gives you access to the podcast version of this radio program. It also gives you uh, the weekly newsletter. That is all free. All you have to do, again, is go to the App Store and search under your RLA. I'll be back after these words with Dr. Bob McHugh.
1: This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure today of chatting once again with returning guest, Dr. Bob McHugh, Uh, Dr. McHugh has to be the hardest working technical analyst in the business. Uh, His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I'd encourage you to check out his work. Technicalindicatorindex.com is the website. And, Bob, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks, Dennis. It's always great to be here.
1: So, Bob, I have to start by just getting your take on... Federal Reserve policy. Uh, the, the Fed, uh, despite uh, evidence of inflation emerging, has said they have no intention of raising interest rates. They have no intention of even slowing down their the, the, the printing press, to use that term. Uh, crazy is the word that comes to mind. What do you think?
2: Absolutely crazy. Um, the Federal Reserve has increased its balance sheet by $4 trillion, almost Fifty, a hundred percent. Actually, they doubled it in the last eighteen months. Um, the money supply, this is unbelievable, has increased thirty-three percent, almost five trillion dollars over the last eighteen months. That's unheard of. That's unheard of. What that now? Here is one other point: the, the population, the U.S. population, has only increased one percent over that eighteen-month period. What this is saying is that we have substantially increase the number of dollars per person in this country by an astronomical amount. That is a formula for hyperinflation, not just inflation, but hyperinflation. And their ludicrous uh, measures of consumer price index and producer price index do not include food and energy and housing. And these things are going up dramatically, dramatically. I mean, housing's up 20% last month. This is nuts. And this is going to lead to a very, very big bubble that's going to pop, and it's going to create a, a, an economic collapse worse than what we saw last last year with the lockdown. It's insane. It's irresponsible. I've never seen anything like it. And during that, all that money that they're printing over the last 18 months, and I picked 18 months because I want to compare – to before the lockdown, the 18 months takes us back to 2019, September 2019. During that same 18 month period, um, GDP has dropped two trillion dollars from 21 trillion to 19. So, what they're doing is not working. It's irresponsible. It's creeping into uh, the inflation of all assets, including the stock market. This is a bubble ready to burst and it's going to be ugly when
1: it happens. You know, it's almost laughable, Bob, when uh, you have uh, Jerome Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve, come out and state publicly that the uh, inflation that we're experiencing is transitory, and then you have Warren Buffett, who at his most recent, uh, I guess, virtual Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, spoke for six hours, and he said, we're seeing massive inflation. We're passing on prices to... uh, to, to, to other people and, and they're, they're passing it on and they're accepting it. I mean that, that by definition tells you this is not transitory. We have an inflation that is here to stay until the bubble bursts. So uh, what, what, what's your take on that whole thing?
2: I totally agree with what Warren Buffett said. It's evidence evident everywhere. anybody that does any shopping at all, anybody that buys anything is knows for a fact that the price of everything is, is going up substantially. And there's very little pushback right now because of the propaganda lies about what the inflation rate is coming from the from the mainstream press and from the government. And because they've been goosed with a lot of, uh, of, of money. There's a um, a willful unemployed segment of our population that is, is putting political pressure on um, the powers that be to keep sending out the checks. Keep sending out the uh, the uh, uh, pandemic checks. They are not willing to work. Um, where we live in Pennsylvania, I ha- see unemployment. I mean, I see help wanted signs everywhere. Every kind of business you can imagine. Factories, retail, you name it. And you drive around and you can't, you're bumping a bumper on car- roads that are rural that shouldn't have anybody on the road. Everybody busy driving around during the middle of the day, during the middle of the week, during business hours, not working. There's a problem here. There's a socialism, and, oh, a incentive to not work, and and the dollars are just being fed from the Federal Reserve. This is creating a massive bubble. It, it, it's 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 ludicrous and it's dangerous.
1: Well, Bob, just and I, I think this is in your neck of the woods. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Uh... I uh, just read this past weekend that there is a uh, convenience store chain called Royal Farms, and I think they're in Pennsylvania and Maryland and out that way. And they're they're giving a $500 signing bonus to get convenience store clerks to take a job. I mean, we're seeing some really crazy stuff in the labor market.
2: Yes, yes, they are in our area. And, yep, you're right, Dennis. It's crazy. So things are out of balance here
1: yeah so Bob, there's another another stat I think that uh, I'd like to get your comment on. And uh, I, I read that uh, government transfer payments, just income coming from the government in in whatever form, made up thirty four percent of all income. now that's that's banana republic stuff, isn't it?
2: yeah, that's that's socialism at its finest. And that's the disincentive to work. That's a disincentive for employment. I mean, what we were just talking about—it's—it's—it's it's, it's bad economics. It's, its its proven to fail uh, throughout the world over over the last century, and it's bad economics.
1: We are chatting today with Dr. Bob McHugh. Bob's website is technicalindicatorindex.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. The website again is technicalindicatorindex.com. So. Bob, this is the, I guess we'll call it the trillion-dollar question. Um, How much longer can the Fed get away with printing at the level they're printing, and and, and, and how does this stop? Do they go until we have just a very noticeable hyperinflation and there's a, a revolt, or how do you see this playing out?
2: It's a great question. I don't know whether the real estate bubble will crash first or the stock market bubble will crash first. But there's going to be a crash, and that'll ignite anger, and uh, it'll be reminiscent, but worse, of probably what we experienced in the 70s. Now, in the 70s, the the, the hyperinflation catalyst was the rising price of oil. Um, this time, it's just Fed printing monetary policy, and it's 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 reflective of the the classic Weimar Republic uh, action that happened back in Germany way back, and. Um, there'll be a crash. It's going to be um, either in the stock market or the real estate market or both simultaneously. I mean, I'm looking at a long term chart for the Dow Industrials that goes back to 80, 80, 86, and it's a classic rising bearish wedge pattern. And this pattern has been in development for a long time, it's been close to topping. But what changed over the last three months is it rose above the upper boundary for the final wave, which is what they call a throwover. And when you see the throwover, you're at the end. You're near the end. This thing is ready to pop. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, sentiment, bullish sentiment is a ridiculously extreme. We have people trading this market. Well, all they do is buy it, buy it, buy it. They're borrowing money all over the place to buy the stock market. They're getting into debt to buy stocks. Only believing it can only go up and up and up. This is classic major league dangerous territory for a a bull mania top, and that's that. That I see the stock market blasting into a, a crash sometime this year um, with this action, and real estate will soon follow.
1: I had the pleasure of interviewing Harry Dent last week on the program, and he has the same time frame. He said this has got to, it's got to correct this year. So, uh, you know, you, to talk a little bit about your work, Bob. Uh, you know, you're a, a technical analyst, and uh, you know the, the the work that you do and the volume that you do never ceases to amaze me. I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. You told you you recently talked about the fact that the stock market has generated something called a Hindenburg omen. Can you talk a little bit about that and what the significance of that might be?
2: Yes, I sure can. At, at my website, I have this article uh, free for anybody that wants to read it at technicalindicatorindex.com that will explain everything about the latest Sindenburg Omen on March 6, 2021. But to give you the thumbnail version of it, uh, this is a rarer condition in the market there's only been 53 times in the last 35 years where we've seen it, which is a risk, higher risk than random, much higher risk than random of a coming stock market crash. There has never been a stock market crash without one of these on the clock, and this one's on the clock now from March 6th, or what I say, March 4th, and uh, it has about a four month light, four months shelf. And um, what it is is a condition where um, the number of new highs, 52-week new highs, and the number of 52-week new lows are both very high at the same time. And there's other conditions that, that uh, are necessary to be met, which are met. And what this means is that the stock market, normally the rationale behind uh, the stock market is that um, you should have a lot of new highs or a lot of new lows, but not both at the same time. Um, when you have this extreme divergence where there are many new highs and lows at the same time, uh, it means that it's not a healthy stock market. The stock market requires some semblance of internal uniformity. And this indicator is saying that uniformity is gone and there's a higher risk than normal of a crash. Um, now, the crash probability is only one out of five. But without, a, without this indicator, there cannot be a crash. And um, therefore, when you compare the possibility of a crash on a random basis, one out of five is extremely high. It's like going to the surgeon and saying, uh, he says, you yeah, you got a one out of five chance of dying if you take the surgery. That's a high probability when you're looking at some kind of financial collapse or personal death or, or injury or something. So it's a big number. It's a big percentage. Last year before the crash, the 36% crash in 2020. um there were there was a Hindenburg Omen then, so it, it predicted the possibility, the higher than normal probability of a crash. So we got one of those now, and you can read the people can read the article if they would like for the full details' there's a lot of information. Um, but it's it just means you got to be a little bit more careful. you got to keep your eyes open, you got to be sensitive to it, and uh, the bull market mania is not sensitive to this possibility right now.
1: Well, my guest today is Dr. Bob McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com, and I'll continue my conversation with him when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest today is Dr. Robert McHugh. You can learn more about his work and uh, read a lot of free information. He's got some terrific resources at his website, technicalindicatorindex.com. And, Bob, prior to the break, we were talking about this Hindenburg Omen, and uh, you explained that there has never been a crash without a Hindenburg Omen sign appearing first. So, let me ask you how how severe do you think the coming potential correction could be?
2: Well, when I define a crash, it has to have a drop of at least 15%. Last year's was a Um, 37% crash. We had a 35% crash in 2019, November. Um, So anywhere from 15% or more. But given the extreme mania, the bubble, the extraordinary hyperinflation, there's no no GDP behind this growth. This is is bubble. This is printed growth. Uh, I think this could be a much larger crash than we've seen in a while.
1: So given that you uh, analyze the the metals market, stocks, bonds, currencies, uh, give me your take for gold and silver. It seems that with the massive money creation that we've seen from the Federal Reserve and, you know, the European Central Bank's balance sheet, the Japanese Central Bank's balance sheets have all expanded significantly. It seems that gold and silver have not responded as one might have expected. What do you attribute to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Gold and silver are, I don't know if it's manipulation holding it back so the by the central banks so that they can get away with this scam, this scheme that they got going this 33% increase in the money supply nonsense. Um, so there could be some of that going on where the central, I mean, you get a balance sheet at the Fed of $8 trillion. You know, they could be selling gold constantly to keep it down and silver. But at some point, it's going to springboard. It's like you know the old saying where you've you scratched a rubber band so far, it's going to springboard. I mean, gold has to increase um, in value as they print more cheap dollars, as they devalue the dollar. So I do have bullish trends, bullish charts for both gold and silver uh, that they are in upside trends. They are in long-term bull trends, and I think that at some point here, Based on all the money that we've seen printed, without the resultant gain in GDP, that um, you're going to, we're going to see gold catapult. We're going to see silver catapult uh, as assets that will be defenses against hyperinflation and defenses against uh, the coming uncertainty of the economic collapse that has to happen from these bubble manias that they've created.
1: Well, Bob, you, you, you've mentioned now a couple times that GDP has actually declined. And I think it's important to note that GDP has declined even though it's being measured in dollars that are devalued. So, you know, on a real basis, would it be fair to say that GDP has declined more than uh, the, the numbers show?
2: Well, that's a, great, that's a great point, Dennis. You're absolutely right. That's, that's, even, that's, that's an even more telling situation of how their, 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 their policy is not working. That's a great point.
1: So talk to me a little bit about what your analysis tells you about the fiat currencies of the world. You know, we'll start with the dollar.
2: Well, I mean, the, the dollar is the reserve currency of the world for now. And uh, the, the country, country with the greatest military will have the reserve currency. They're the ones that are allowed to print dollars as much as they want. And the, you know, the world has to kind of accept it. But, you know, at some point, uh, the going there's going to be so many dollars printed and other fiat currencies printed that it's going to drive um, a challenge to so the reserve currency in the United States. And once it loses its reserve currency status, um, then it can't print like this and get away with it anymore.
0: And, you know, right
2: now, they're just... That's printing money. They go in and they buy treasuries. They go in and they buy private debt. And they put it on their balance sheet and exchange it for dollars to Wall Street which puts a modest administration fee. And uh, you know, this game can't continue. It's 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 artificial. It's no there's no substance behind it. Gross domestic product as we just talked about. Danger and the dollar is going to have to drop in value as it, as they keep printing and it has been dropping and it's going to continue to. while they keep printing?
1: So, Bob, when you take a look at how the average aspiring retiree accumulates money in an IRA or a four hundred one k, they're typically taught by I call them Wall Street only advisors to you know buy stocks, buy bonds, usually in the form of mutual funds and hang on to them because you can't time the market, so just, just stay invested for the long haul. Based upon everything we've been talking about here, that seems like at, at the current time really bad advice. What would you say to that?
2: Absolutely it's bad advice. You're right. Because those assets are going to drop in value as uh, the bubble bursts. And you know what where the real ripoff is on the retirees, the real ripoff has been artificially low interest rates on savings and and cds and bank safe bank fdic insured investments um, you know bank accounts this there's almost a whole generation of people that are getting ripped off of a, a normal six to eight percent return on their money their money is now just sitting there not, not earning anything and they they're Normally, you could rely on that interest income as part of your retirement income. It's not there anymore. So now they're being pushed into risky assets like stocks in a bubble market at the very end of a bubble market, which is the worst time to go in. And they're gonna they're gonna lose their principal. They're gonna lose value. And and they don't know retirees. What do you do? What are you supposed to do? It's it's a very uncomfortable and troublesome situation. One of the things I just started doing with my service is doing day trading. And the reason I've decided to do that is it's a way to make a little bit of income to kind of replace the interest income you can't get in the, in the banks anymore. People are searching for additional income sources. And so I started doing a little bit of day trading to, uh, to try to help, you know, educate people. It's an education service. I'm not managing money. I'm not doing that. But it's to teach people how to possibly do their own day trading, which is safer because you don't use a lot of dollars at risk. You have to get a small amount, but you're turning it constantly, play it up and down. And so it's a, it's a try to way to, to defend them, how do you make money in this market? Uh, but the advice of going in the, the stock market now is like criminal.
1: So when people hear the word day trading, I think that uh, it's got some, at least in some people's minds, it's got a big, a, a bit of a negative connotation. Can you just drill down a little bit and talk about what your service looks like? What kind of vehicles are you trading? And, and maybe give us an example.
2: Sure. I mean, for example, uh, let's say I want to play the Dow Industrials, and I'm going to say, okay, it makes these little moves up and down every day. So I got an ETF that plays the Dow Industrials. I look at that, which is DIA, it's an ETF, exchange-traded fund, trades like a stock. And when the market is short-term oversold, um, I have an indicator I follow. I go buy maybe $1,000 worth of, of these DIA ETF shares. And then, in a short while, whether it's a few hours or maybe a day or two, when a sh- short term indicator gets overbought, that rally is over. And no matter what, I get out. I don't want to take any risk, re- a lot of risk. I get out, I follow the indicator, and then I'll, I'll may play it to go down. And may say, okay, I'm now in an overbought condition, so maybe I'll play a small amount of money and play the down move. So I'll buy. Uh, a call option when I want to play, a call option on DIA to play it to go up. I'll play a put option on a DIA to play the stock market, the industrials to go down for a day or two or for a few hours. It's small dollar amount trades. It's uh, frequent trades. It's it's pretty understandable. It's just education for overbought oversold conditions, and now I can make a few dollars like the big boys do on Wall Street, just on small moves. And that's just a way to defend ourselves. Let's say I don't want to go into the stock market heavy right now because of the bubble mania. It's dangerous. It's risk. Well, if I want to still get a little benefit from this crazy stock market, I'll I'll do a small day trade every day. Maybe I'll uh, play it to uh, go up one day and down the next, and just based on these short term overall oversold conditions. There's going to be occasional losses. I stick with a disciplined situation or program, and my goal is to have about seventy percent of them be winners. 30% might end up being even or small losses. But if I keep my dollar small at risk, uh, you know, generally at the end of the day, I should be ahead of the game uh, doing that. It's just a strategy. It's different than, you know, buy and hold. It's different than market timing. It's different than, um, you know, taking half my portfolio and putting in a long-term mutual fund or something or, or a long-term stock market play which, you know, it, you know, it's different than getting an annuity from an insurance company that has risks, risk. And you just can't get interest income from banks. So it's just another attempt to try another strategy to learn, for people to learn, to try to help themselves uh, in this difficult market.
1: Well, my guest today has been Dr. Robert McHugh. His website is technicalindicatorindex.com. The website, again, technicalindicatorindex.com. Bob, amazing how fast two segments go by when we get together to chat. I very much appreciate you joining us today, and I know the listeners do as well, and we'd love to have you back down the road.
2: Uh, Thanks, Dennis. I always enjoy uh, chatting with you, and uh, I look
0: forward to another time. We will
1: return after these words.
0: Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to Dr. Bob McHugh for joining us on today's program. In the first segment of today's program, I chatted a bit about some comments that Fed Chair Jerome Powell made regarding inflation. He said that inflation that we're seeing now is transitory. Well, I would certainly disagree with that. And the Fed Chairman also, when talking about hedging for inflation, and specifically talking about gold, also seems to, at least publicly, lack some understanding. Now, Mr. Powell said, when when asked about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, he said this, crypto assets are highly volatile and therefore not useful as a store of value. Now, certainly I agree with that. But he went on to say that It is a speculative asset that is essentially a substitute for gold rather than for the dollar. Well, certainly gold has been historically a terrific inflation hedge. And when you look at the fact that gold prices have increased about sevenfold in the last 20 years as the Fed has been essentially printing money at an ever-increasing rate, one would have to say that gold continues to be a good inflation hedge. Yet, many Federal Reserve chairs seem to lack, at least publicly, this understanding. Ben Bernanke was being questioned by Congressman Ron Paul when he was chair of the Fed. Bernanke said the reason people hold gold is to protect Protect against a tail risk, a really, really bad outcome. Dr. Paul then asked Mr. Bernanke if gold was money. Bernanke, after a long pause, said, no, it is an asset. Paul then said, well, why do central banks hold gold? Bernanke said, well, it's a tradition. But there's one former Federal Reserve Chair who seemed to, prior to his position at the helm of the Fed, and then after leaving the Fed, embrace gold as money. And I'm talking about Alan Greenspan. In 1966, Mr. Greenspan wrote an essay. The title of the essay is Telling. It was titled, Gold and Economic Freedom. Now, it's important to note that Mr. Greenspan wrote this piece five years prior to the United States essentially reneging on the Bretton Woods Agreement in which the United States agreed to back the dollar, the U.S. dollar, with gold. Now, here's an excerpt from Mr. Greenspan's 1966 essay. Thus, under the gold standard, a free banking system stands as the protector of an economy's stability and balanced growth. When gold is accepted as the medium of exchange by most or all nations, an unhampered free international gold standard serves to foster a worldwide division of labor and the broadest international trade. That almost makes Mr. Greenspan sound like a gold bug, doesn't it? And in 1978... In a congressional hearing prior, again, to Mr. Greenspan assuming the Fed chair role, he said this. In the absence of the gold standard, and this, of course, is after the link between the dollar and gold was eliminated. He said, in the absence of a gold standard, there's no way to protect savings from confiscation through inflation. There is no safe store of value. So here in testimony before Congress, Greenspan said that without using gold as money, it's impossible to preserve wealth and protect that wealth from the ravages of inflation. Well, certainly, as we've been talking about on today's program, we are now beginning to see the ravages of inflation, as Mr. Greenspan warned. But then in 1987, Mr. Greenspan became chair of the Federal Reserve, and at that point, it seems, his position changed. See, it was Greenspan who really began the practice of money creation in earnest by reducing interest rates. Now, he served as Fed chair before we saw quantitative easing, before we had helicopter money, but Greenspan was able to control the money supply by controlling or manipulating interest rates. I would argue Greenspan is the father of the everything bubble in which I believe we now find ourselves. Now, one time while serving as Fed chair in 1998, Greenspan did slip up during his testimony before the House of Representatives. He said this. I am one of the rare people who still have a nostalgic view of the old gold standard. As you know, but I must tell you, I am in a very small minority among my colleagues on that issue. Then, after Greenspan left his post as Federal Reserve Chair, he once again spoke openly and freely of his affinity for gold as a currency. In 2014, Greenspan said this, Gold is a currency. It is still, by all evidence, a premier currency, where no fiat currency, including the dollar, can match it. Yet gold has special properties that no other currency, with the possible exception of silver, can claim. For more than two millennia, gold has virtually unquestioned acceptance as payment. Gold has never required the credit guarantee of a third party. No questions are raised when gold or direct claims to gold are offered in payment of an obligation. So perhaps in light of the fact that we've seen, as I talked about in the first segment, the Chicago PMI index now rising to levels not seen since 1980, when then-Fed Chair Paul Volcker had to raise the Fed funds rate to 22% to knock down inflation, perhaps we should be looking to take some of Mr. Greenspan's advice. We may want to hedge our bets. We might want to hedge our investments with having some precious metals, some physical metals in our portfolio. To that end, I would invite you to get this month's free report. It outlines the five threats to your retirement, and it also gives you some strategies to consider to protect your dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement. If you'd like to get your copy of the May report, all you have to do is visit the website, requestyourreportnow.com. The website, again, is requestyourreportnow.com. All you have to do is let us know where you would like us to mail that report, and we'd be very happy to do that. Uh, Also, if you would like to access all of our educational resources... I would encourage you to go to the App Store on your smartphone and download the Your RLA app. Just search for Y-O-U-R-R-L-A, that's Your R-L-A, and you can download the app for free, and that will give you access to all of our educational resources for free. You'll get the weekly podcast. You'll get the weekly headline roundup webinar. That happens every Monday at noon live, uh, but you can also get the replay And you'll also get our weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter. So lots of free resources. Certainly would encourage you to take advantage of it. As I often say, no one cares as much about your money as you do. And because of that, you need to be educated. And we work very hard to make a lot of valuable educational resources available to uh, everyone out there in our listening audience. The website, uh, if you'd like to visit it, is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. There are resources available there as well. That's our program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.